The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. I'm Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy, Peter Overzet to recap the final episodes, episodes 9 and 10 of ESPN's The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Also, just sort of wrapping up the entire show as a whole, you know, our thoughts on Michael Jordan, thoughts on, you know, his legacy, how as uh, as younger guys who were not there for all of Michael Jordan's dominance, you know, how the documentary impacted our opinion of him and, and basketball today. I think this will be interesting for a lot of you. You know, I, I think a lot of us enjoyed the documentary. I think a lot of us thought it was great. So this is, uh, this is the final episode that we will do on ESPN's The Last Dance. If you want to support the show, leaving some rating and review on iTunes would be great. That would be helpful. If you want bonus episodes of the show, you can get them on patreon.com slash takecast. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, bringing in Peter Overzet to the show. Final episodes of The Last Dance, episodes 9 and 10. Um, you know, we're, we're here, a quiet, reflective morning as The Last Dance has ended, um, basking in the afterglow of German soccer and The Last Dance. How did you, how did you enjoy episodes 9 and 10, Pete? Um, I enjoyed it. It's, it's like one of those things where, uh, the, the storytelling that they did in that was very effective. And you even see tweets this morning about like, I have completely, you know, changed my opinion on who's the greatest of all time after the documentary and that, that director has to be sitting somewhere going, I did my job correctly because, uh, it it had an emotional pull on people and it was just really well made. And now I'm kind of at the point where I'm pulling back a little bit and being like, okay, how much of this is recency bias, really good storytelling. And, uh, where's actually the truth, uh, in this story? Because I think we can both agree. There's been some liberties taken by Jordan and the directors to shade Michael in a much more positive light. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly this was done with Michael Jordan's guiding hand, right? Like we're, we're getting Michael's side of the story and we're skipping on, I mean, probably the most amazing thing is um, Michael's, uh, Michael's kids don't show up until episode 10 at the beginning, that jazz series. I mean, it's, uh, it, it was quite, uh, quite a Michael Jordan thing to have his kids just not be a part of this at all, basically. Yeah, what's the one quote from the kids that get in there? Like, yeah, man, the the stadium in Utah—it was pretty crazy. It's like, yeah, it was, it was wild. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not wavering on my position that 
LeBron is a better player because, like, I, I think that should be obvious. But I, I certainly am in the camp that Michael Jordan had the more impactful, meaningful, great career, basically. Yeah, and the thing is, I forget. I think it was someone at the Ringer made this analogy. It Like, Jordan is the greatest story ever like everything from his upbringing to not making the high school team like the arc of winning retiring coming back for the second act he they were comparing it to like bill or uh, joseph campbell's the hero's journey it was like jordan is the best story and people get upset at lebron because lebron doesn't have this clean story in the way that jordan does and that that doesn't take away from either of them but let's just call a spade a spade like the jordan story is incredible you can't beat that yeah, LeBron chose to go about things in like he made he made some missteps, right? Like, well, I guess first of all, those Cavaliers teams were I mean just obviously way worse than these even even the early Bulls teams were better than those early Cavs teams and then instead of instead of retiring, LeBron has the decision, which is like, you know, one of the one of the most misguided. I mean, he should have hired he should have hired you as uh as his uh you know his publicist or whatever you you would have been able to tell him that was a bad idea i think everybody would have but it is that is kind of the funny thing that you know both of the way jordan's first three titles when he went into retirement you know everyone it was so weird that people had all these theories about obviously is it a you know a a gambling suspension and then when he ended here like both of them didn't make sense because we see players these days how competitive they are, how they want to keep playing. Like this is all they know that Jordan could just walk away. It again plays into the mythos of he was just wired differently than these guys. LeBron couldn't have imagined taking two years off until he got the setup that he wanted. Right? Like there's no way in hell. Yeah, no, there, uh, there is no way. So I guess getting into some very specific things from the documentary, uh, Rick Smith's just looks like a thumb. Like imagine, imagine your dynasty, like imagine losing in a playoff series to a team prominently featuring Rick Smith's like some of these dudes that LeBron dunked on, or that Michael dunked on, like really don't even look like NBA players. Like it, like the, the whole, you know, MJ played against plumbers thing is, uh, it's a little overblown, but I mean, like Greg Ostertag was playing 30 minutes a night against him against the Jazz. Like he was playing against some really unathletic players. I remember when I uh, was watching this series as a kid, because I always, re- I even turned to Lauren when we were watching last night. I was like, did you know Rick Smith's was seven feet, four inches? Like as a kid, that little nugget always stood him. I was like, that is just ridiculously tall. But yes, to your, your point, Rick Smith's, Ostertag, the guy that drives that point home for me the most and actually didn't get any FaceTime in the documentary was Jeff Hornacek. Because there's there's Steve Kerr and there's, uh, you know, Stockton. But Hornacek is on another level of like, this dude just balls out at the rec center. How is he playing in an NBA Finals game right now? I thought the, you know, about the, maybe the 15 minutes they gave Kerr was other than other than like the last half hour of the whole thing i thought i thought the kerr moments were the best that the documentary got i thought that was like the most human the most telling because kerr is like a really honest guy and kerr is going to tell you what it was like in those moments and like you know even even as mj is being as forthcoming as we've ever seen him you never felt like oh yeah this is just 100 percent the story Totally. And, and one other thing that speaks to that, like Jordan's story speaks for itself, the, the footage and the storytelling. So 
Jordan as um, an interviewee in the documentary didn't have to do much lit heavy lifting. It was like, just react to this, shrug your shoulders, laugh, say this guy was a liar, whatever. But, you know, guys like Reggie and Steve Kerr in that documentary, both incredibly articulate, both really self-aware about what was going on in the situation. And I thought both those interviews, the Reggie and the Steve Kerr, were just fantastic because they are legitimately great interviewees. Yeah, I mean, Reggie is good on TV. Reggie knows how to, like, speak eloquently about the experiences, right? Like, he knows how to, uh, he knows how to, like, paraphrase, like, what he went through in a way that, uh, that makes sense. And, I mean, maybe there's a lot of stuff from other guys that was honest that is just not interesting. You know, they probably interviewed Barkley and Ewing or whatever, but those guys probably just weren't as interesting. Yeah, it would be fascinating to see – if, if it's like Jason made this documentary and then had to run it past MJ for final editorial control, you know, they say there's like a director's cut. It'd be fascinating to see the non MJ director's cut of this. I, I mean, I'm sure there are, there are going to be stories like I, a lot of this, there's, there's stuff out there that does not make Michael look so cool. Right. Like this whole, this whole documentary is, it's not, um, like this is not an analytical documentary about the character of MJ. Like this is a this is a a glorification of a great basketball player. Like, you know, I guess I guess one of the things is I don't feel like I learned that much. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't feel like I like I have a new appreciation for MJ's career, but I don't feel like I learned that much about him. Yeah. For me, like one of the fun things, like you said, it wasn't learning something new, although there was a few things, but it was like watching those highlights and whether it maybe I had seen them live or maybe just from seeing the highlights of them over and over. And I think we talked about this last time, the sheer number of iconic moments. Like even I think you mentioned Ostertag, the one in that game where Jordan goes underneath and he gets like fouled by Ostertag and kisses it so high off the glass. Like I've seen that highlight a hundred times. Right. It just, I still blows my mind the number of iconic shots in moments Jordan has. It's like they keep showing them, like, I remember this. Like, there's no other athlete in the world who has that many moments. Yeah, like, I, and, and I think, I mean, you know, part of that is just how much shit happens. Like, I, I'm just trying to think of, like, iconic sports moments that I can think of. So I can think of Kyrie's shot. I think of the third and 15 pass from Mahomes to Tyreek in the Super Bowl. Um, I think of that Lamar Jackson spinning run against the Bengals, right? Like that, like that was huge. Like that was one of the most gifable things that we saw on the internet. I think of um, the Ray Allen corner shot for the Miami Heat against yeah. the Spurs, and you know, like, but like, I can't think of like that many. Uh, the LeBron, LeBron buzzer beater against the Pistons back when he was with the Cavs. Like he had, like, he hit like a, a half court one. That, but I don't. I can't think of that many like super iconic moments right now. Yeah, like I feel even though it's more recent, I feel like if I saw um, a documentary about, say, the Warriors or about LeBron, I even though I probably lived through them, I feel like way fewer of the moments would have been recognizable. Like, oh, I remember where I was when I saw that. When I'm watching these Le Jordan ones, I'm like, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, so I remember when the Cavs won, but it felt like the Warriors' wins were so foregone conclusions that it hardly even mattered, right? Like, they were – the Warriors were so much better than their opposition. And, and that you know what? I think that's actually a big difference um, why these Michael – why these last three championships for the Bulls felt so special 
is it wasn't like people were not viewing them like they were a foregone conclusion. Like when the season started with the, when the Warriors went 72 and nine, people actually were not watching the NBA that much this, that season, like ratings were down across the board because everyone was just like, Oh, you know, the Warriors are are just going to win. Like it's, it's two very different things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. John Stockton just straight up looks like an accountant. Like, and, and he talks like one too. He's like, like it, like the way he was talking about playing against the the Bulls was he was like, you know they were a, they were a good team and uh, we we respected them and we thought they were great but uh, you know you know we didn't think they were they were unbeatable like he just like John Stockton just looks like a dad. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean both him and Steve Kerr they just don't and yet like Stockton was one of the greatest point guards of his generation. I'm glad they did they specifically called out that pass that he made to Carl Malone the one handed cross court one that was. That was pretty sweet. But, yeah, it, it is still – I have a hard time the people that really want to compare eras just looking at some of those guys in imagine. I mean, John Stockton would be, like, a 15th man in the G League today, and I don't care. <laughs> if, that is, if that is triggering to, uh, to some of you out there, I, uh, I don't care. Uh, it's just – it's really – it really is uh, – it really is the way that it is. Um, so Pippen misses the free throw against the Pacers in that game. This is, this is um, another example of Pippen getting very lucky that he did not play in the era of social media because stuff like that, I mean, missing free throws in game sevens, like this, that's the sort of thing that like guys literally get trashed for for the rest of their entire careers, and Pippen just, again, uh, escapes. Yeah, that uh, Pippen – I think Pippen takes a beating throughout this documentary too, because it's, it's like this catch 22 for him of that, you know, Jordan needed him to accomplish all of this, but you also see the kind of betaness in his character throughout all of this as well. Uh, even down to where, how deferential he is and how he's not even that great of an interview in the thing. He just kind of is like very bland, just kind of matter of fact. Um, he's got that great voice though. Yeah, I would say in the earlier episodes, he came across as, you know, he, he got his own episode about how he was underpaid and they pumped him up there. But it was like, that was the only episode where Scotty really came across looking good. Otherwise, it, it felt like he was the true second fiddle I, a lot I, of the time. I kind of I view him as the protagonist of, of this because he is like, to me... Pippen is the one who was like the unsung hero at the time, right? Like he's having to put up with Michael. Mike, I mean, Michael Jordan is a megalomaniac. Like he is completely um, obsessed with himself and his own goals. And Michael should really, I think, and I'm sure he does not consider himself. Well, maybe he does a little bit, you know, consider himself lucky to have known, uh, to have known Pippen the way that he knew him. But to find someone as good at basketball as Pippen, who was, who had the personality and was as willing to just be like, you know what, I'm totally cool playing second fiddle forever. Like, I mean, he played second fiddle for a decade to Michael, right. you know? Yeah. Like, you're not – I can't think of a player in Scotty's league who would have ever had that personality in basketball history. Yeah, I, I guess I couldn't go as far as saying he's the protagonist just because, like, the entire essence – 
of the documentary and Jordan's story is like everyone was just a pawn to him. And, and yeah. sure, Scotty was the queen. He was a way more valuable piece to Jordan than than other guys. But everyone were pawns and rooks. And and uh, you know, if you want to do the uh, grad school film guys, like New York City was actually uh, one of the characters in the movie. Like I feel like the audience and us who grew up with Jordan are that like protagonist. And Jordan is this kind of anti-hero that was using everyone in his universe to tell this story uh for us right if we want to get really uh literary about it but yeah i just maybe just the way these last few episodes ended but uh, like scotty just it, it didn't land for me as much well uh, they they also they, you know they're not covering the games where michael jordan shot three for 20 or got hurt or whatever but every time yeah. scotty's back seized up or every time <laughs> scotty had a migraine like we're not we're not talking about the times when mj rolled his ankle but every time every time scotty gets hurt or comes up short in a big moment like we're, we're just zoning in on it right and i'm, I'm yeah. sure michael has no problem with that also uh, speaking of things tell me if you think i'm wrong but would someone in in pippin state with his back in that game coming in and out you know playing as a decoy would that ever happen in today's nba wouldn't you be the, the trainers it, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even even if the player wanted to come in, the trainers and the coach would not let it happen today. They'd be like, dude, your back's hurt. Like, we're playing Scotty Burrell 30 minutes tonight. Yeah. Also, some of those, they showed him scoring two buckets, like, even with his back. And they were, like, turnarounds on Hornacek and Stockton. I'm like, how did they allow this mismatch to happen? Like, why, why are they letting the guy who can't move get four-foot jumpers over these short guys? Well, uh, I mean, Jerry Sloan, another guy who comes off looking very shitty in this documentary is Jerry Sloan, who says, I didn't even know Michael was sick during the no. flu game, says See, I didn't even know he was sick. I think he was, I think he was having fun in the same way, you know, when they got blow, blown out and he was like, oh, was that actually the score? Like, I think he was having fun with the reporters a little bit. So I, uh, I pulled up the box score to, uh, to, this, to this game where, where Scotty gets hurt. Let me tell you this. I mean, the people, they just love to big up MJ. If a guy has this game and doesn't make that shot at the end in 2020, I mean, we're t like, this dude gets wrecked. Michael shot 35 times, made 15 of them, went to the line 15 times. I mean, bro, let, let Kukoc shoot. Kukoc plays 42 minutes, shoots 14 times, makes uh, seven shots, one of them being a three-pointer, uh, doesn't turn the ball over at all, only commits three fouls. Like, Kukoc is there busting his ass for 44 minutes while Pippen is on the bench. Rodman only shoots three times. Like, Michael literally is just not passing the ball during this game. Like, literally is just like, we're going to win or lose this game based on how many times I can get the ball in the basket. Because he just, like, he was not passing the ball. Yeah. It, well, what about the, the thing about Steve Kerr where he's like, yeah, I get like five shots a game and I got to make the most of them. And then it's like, yeah, Steve Kerr was a career like 50% three-point three shooter. Like, shooter. Maybe he should have gotten a few more looks after the double teams were coming for you, Michael. Uh, Kerr, zero field goal attempts, zero field goals made, zero free throw attempts in 24 minutes in this game six. Literally, the only stats he recorded were one turnover, three assists, and one steal. I mean... The, 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 man, the man got marginalized. And, and you got to think, I'm thinking of uh, all the great matchups for, for Steve Kerr. Got to feel like Stockton versus Kerr is a fair fight. You know that what is, I mean? That does seem like a fair fight, yeah. So, I mean, I, I do. I want to talk, uh, talk a little bit about Kerr. Where I, I just think that dude is such a grinder. Um, and I, I also, I also want to recant my previous take that I think that Kerr and MJ 
don't get along. I think that I think that in episodes nine and ten, I I think that like the very obvious mutual respect between those two guys really came through. I I actually think kind of the way Michael talks about Kerr is honestly more respectful than the way he talks about like almost anyone else in the entire documentary because Kerr never let him down. There was like he never played. Uh, if you look at the years Kerr was with the Bulls, every year they played together. They they were in the finals, you know, they won. So he never he never experienced disappointment with Kerr, basically. Yeah. No, yeah, and I, I like that part too about him uh looking at the team photo uh with John Paxson and being like, That that's my role, that's what I can do for this team. And then Paxson taking him under his wing uh was cool. One random thing from the Steve Kerr story that kind of blew my mind. Uh he was talking about how, oh yeah, no girls like me, I wasn't getting any scholarship offers, whatever. Oh, and then I just at the last minute got a scholarship to Arizona, like one of the biggest basketball programs going. I'm like, how does that happen from having no interest to then getting to go play at University of Arizona? Like there seemed to be a little, little um, missing there. I mean, yeah. I mean, Steve Kerr wants to promote his own mysticism a little bit, probably, you know, yeah. uh, over the course of this. I have, I have heard that, uh, that Kerr story before about him not really having any offers, but he also – um, Kerr was like a really good college player. Like those Arizona, like um, those Arizona teams were really good while he was there. So like yeah. he just had like I believe he played. I think maybe they won a national championship while he was there. I, I gotta I gotta go I gotta go fact check uh, myself on that one. These uh these Michael Jordan suits. I mean, what the fuck? Like was that was that cool then? It had to have been. I mean, I don't think he was like defiantly trying to make a fashion statement and by being rogue, I think he probably truly thought it looked really good. But he 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 does that stuff now. Like he um he does the the horrible jeans and the mustache and everything now. Well, you can think about just the 90s in general, the baggy look was such a thing, both for like basketball, like you think about the warm-up pants, like you had the big baggy starter jackets, even even in other cultures, like the Jinko jeans were so popular in the 90s, and then everything changed, we, you know, went to skinny jeans and custom tailor fits, so I think he was just like, this is the look, and I'm going to do it to the max. Well, I mean, so that is, like, I think that is a great point. Like, the all the bull stuff, to me, looked really cool. Like, all the warm-ups, all the jerseys, all the hats. Like, I'm like, oh, these dudes are so cool. And then you get them off the floor, and they're wearing these oversized suits. And, like, like all the all the suits were just terrible to me. Like, they, they looked like, they looked like such jokers. Well, that's the thing. That, that kind of more baggy stuff, like, looks good in an athletic setting, but it doesn't look good uh, in, like, a business formal setting. Then it just looks right. clown, clownish. So, okay, another, another thing that I thought was, uh, was pretty great was they were, at the very beginning of episode 10, the guy uh, who wrote Rare Air says, Michael Jordan's skill more than anything, was that he was present. He was able to be there in the moment. And I thought about that, and at first I was like, that's really stupid. You know, that was not Michael Jordan's skill. I, I kind of I think maybe that's right, though. Like, maybe, maybe the, of all the things that were able to separate Michael Jordan's mentality, it was that he was able to divorce himself from, like, the anxiety and the tension of, worrying about expectations and just be where he was. Maybe that is true. So here's my thing. I do, ag- I, 
I like, okay, from a, from a documentary storytelling perspective, I hated that they, they used that quote because what we saw then after that was the ultimate footage that showed that. We had LeBron, uh, LeBron. we had Michael in the hotel room playing the piano, someone asking him about his future, him literally quoting- Yeah, literally like, saying, be in the Zen, moment. Zen Buddha. Just so, just let the footage do that. I hate when they undercut that and they're like, guess what we're gonna show you? Michael was so in the moment and now we have a clip to show it. Like, I just, I hate that from a storytelling perspective. It's just, you have the footage to tell us or show us. You don't need to tell us that. Yeah. I, so like, I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. Like, you know, show, show don't tell is like sort of the, the first rule of movie making, writing a book and, uh, and all that stuff. But I, I had never really, I had never really thought of Michael that way before. Right. Like I had never, I had never really been like, oh, well, you know, his, his, whole thing is mind over matter and effort and trying but I think yeah I think that the point that you know it really is more about his ability to just stay extremely grounded in the most insane moments because I think we've seen a lot of professional athletes be unable to be grounded like you know we like uh one of the things that people talk about with Brady is why the Patriots are you know so good in big games is Brady has played all these big games so many times that like at the Super Bowl, he's used to the 45-minute halftime, whereas I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is sitting in the locker room just going nuts for 45 minutes because he doesn't know what to do with all of his energy and everything. Like, and I, I think there is a huge – I think there's a huge amount to be said for that. Yeah, and, and again, aside from the, the way that they, you know, showed it in the, in the documentary, I, I do agree with it. And it's something – you hear a lot about, um, you know, singular talents. I've heard it like with politicians, some big time actors, this idea that you'll hear the quote that when you're in a room with them talking, you feel they make you feel like you're the only person in the room because they are so laser focused on you. And now Davis this is going to be really hard for you to imagine just not, you know, checking your phone mid conversation that these guys like look right. and, they, and they make you feel um like you're the only thing that matters. And it definitely seemed like Jordan had that skill set in that he really did when he was checking in with his security guards or whoever, his teammates, like he truly was not off in this other place thinking about all these other things. And, and that's why I, I did believe that about him. Yeah, I, I think that too. I, I think that he has that sort of magnetic, charismatic personality. And I think that, even like let's let's say we live in a fictional world where LeBron plays for another ten seasons and and equals MJ in in number of championships. I don't think you will ever be able to convince the people that lived through the Michael Jordan era that they are comparable players at all. Just because LeBron is LeBron is as great as he is, as charming as he is, it never feels as sincere with him. Right, and again, you know, they had completely different goals. Like like Michael's goal was to win at all costs, whatever re relationships were jeopardized, it does not matter. It was win, win, win. And LeBron is like, I want to be a global superstar. I want to, you know, push causes that I believe in. I want to, you know, build up these business enterprises. Like he has all these things that he's using to leverage his platform. And so naturally he takes on this different aura where with MJ, it truly was, this guy just wanted to win. Yeah, he doesn't, he, I mean, it like we we spend what in this documentary we spend 15 minutes on space jam of of 10 hours and most of that was most of that was talking about the the pickup games that were happening whereas like <laughs> uh when when we get the when we get the 10 part 
Michael Jordan documentary, uh, a or a a 10 part LeBron documentary, a huge part of it is going to be about like, Oh, I built my media empire and uh, the decision actually helped me out because of X, Y, and Z. And I, I think that's true of pretty much all great athletes these days, not just LeBron. Right. And it's reflected in the tone of, you know, Jordan, what are we, you know, 20 some years later reflecting on these moments and he's, his uh, emotional responses to these are like they just happened. And, you know, it's, it's obviously a running joke about how he handles these slights and never lets them go. Like LeBron, when they do this documentary in 20 years about him, he's going to be pretty chilled out, kind of laughing. Oh, yeah, that was funny. Like he is going to be in a much better headspace. Like Jordan still loses. He doesn't seem night. happy, bro. This, is, this no. is actually a great point. Michael Jordan, clearly not a happy man. Clearly is, is sh- like still upset at Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf for not allowing him to come back to play still holds gr- like still, if he saw Scotty Burrell today, he'd probably call him like some homophobic word and be like, get out of here. I don't want to hang out with you, Scotty Burrell. Like he, he is like Michael Jordan, not a happy man. No. And I, the thing is, is I don't, who cares if Ryan Reinsdorf lets them come back? Who cares if they win a seventh championship? Well, some, at some point this is going to end And honestly, what Jordan's really mad at is just his own mortality. There's no way a guy that just wants to win, win, win at that level at all costs, obviously father time catches up and you can't do that forever. So when Jordan's angry, he has his different villains in his head, whether it's Krauss or Reinsdorf or whoever, but really he's just mad that he can't be at the top forever. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, all of us, uh, we all want to be uh, on top forever. Hilarious moment to me. Game three, Utah Jazz. They, they cut to the bench. Michael Jordan says, everyone, everyone scored but Bill. And freaking Bill Wennington squares up and hits like a 20 foot jumper. Uh, like just ima- imagine the disrespect of like aging close to retirement, Bill Wennington uh, taking you off the dribble and hitting a 20 foot jumper. Like that might've been like, I just, um, I mean, imagine it like that's so disrespectful. It's so sad too. Cause all those guys, you could just tell how badly they wanted to get Michael's approval to be in yeah. his good graces. And it, the fact that, again, the kind of gravitas that he carried, even with his own teammates, they were terrified of him. They wanted to please him. Um, everything was in service of Michael Jordan, which just really speaks to to his gravitas. It's nuts. I, I also, I, I think it's important to make this point. Michael Jordan is a weird dude. Michael Jordan is a weirdo. His best friends were his security guards. He was paying his best friends to hang out with him, you know, and his relationships with his teammates were, you know, obviously there, there's a whole element of, uh, you know, the power dynamics at play there. Uh, it seems like most of the opponents he played against, he, he was pathologically competitive with them, was not making close friendships with, with very many of these people. Like, I, like a, a big takeaway to me is that Michael Jordan is a weird guy. Oh, very, very weird. I, yeah, I think that's uh, that's the takeaway. That's what's so hard about it is, again, I think the whole thing about the MJ story is these are the sacrifices, both for your own mental health, both for how you treat other people, um, that come for just wanting to win at all costs. And you create this great legacy, but you also have to ask yourself at, at what cost. And you can see that in his discontent now is that he's still wrestling with that stuff. It's, it's a real, like, what do you have to sacrifice to actually get to this point? Yeah, that, that is, that is true. One of the, one of the notes I made while I was watching is that 
you know, you see Michael talking in these clips from the nineties, you know, like all the, all the old media, you see him chatting with Ahmad Rashad. And, and this is, this is even, you know, within five years of his dad dying and he just seems much happier and calmer in the nineties than he does now. Like, like I think a lot of the interview footage shot with him when they were doing the last dance, when they were working on this documentary, like, I think he seems like bummed out, right? Like I, it, it, it seems like he is not happy with, uh, like, like just not happy with his circumstances and his surroundings now. And he was much happier being in the middle of it. Yeah. And it's also curious because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, we don't hear much from Jordan these days of, of uh-uh. things he's working on. You'd think there would be other things where he was scratching that competitive itch and it's it's kind of bizarre it almost feels like you kind of believe the idea that he's sitting in his mansion or whatever just kind of wallowing and replaying all these highlights in his head over and over like it's like what what is Jordan doing now he has the money the platform the access the connections to do quite literally whatever he wants and he's not doing anything right well I mean he owns a basketball team and they just suck but is he even like in what capacity is he involved with regular operations? Like I never hear about like Jordan, you know, influence this move or wants to do yeah, this. You you never you never yeah, you don't you don't really hear about I mean, seems like maybe he doesn't want to spend them that far into the luxury tax or whatever. <laughs> um I mean I would imagine if I if I had to if I had to guess with Jordan, he probably plays a lot of golf. Yeah, he probably. I think he drinks a lot. I think Mike. I think Michael Jordan drinks a lot um, and smokes a lot of cigars, and it's just like sort of like not that healthy of a person. Well, like this is another fun thought experiment. I just cannot picture Michael Jordan at home just scrolling through Netflix and throwing something on. The dude is definitely watching old tapes from like the '92 Finals. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, or I mean, he just is watching basketball for sure. Like, like even if even if he's not, or, or something competitive, right? Or yeah, yeah like I, I, I don't think he is. I mean, I don't know, man. That's that's it is fascinating to imagine what is Michael Jordan's home life like. <laughs> yeah. Like, who knows? I mean, we don't, we don't, we get no sense of that from the documentary. We don't hear from the woman he was married to and divorced from in this. We hear a little bit from his mom. Uh, who he seems to have spent a lot of time with. Uh, seems like she was there a lot after his dad died, which, like, whatever. And, and we get the sense that he spent a lot of time with his security guards, but, like, doing what? Like, you know, what is he gambling against his mom? Is he, like, haranguing it? <laughs> is he, like, haranguing his mom to play the quarter game? Like, you know what I mean? It seems wild. I know. I As much as I enjoyed watching this documentary, I would trade all 10 episodes for, like, a, a one episode about jordan's day-to-day life now you know just like what he's up to what his thought is what gets him up in the morning you know yeah, what, what is what him. is michael jordan doing during doing during quarantine you know yeah Seriously. it is a fascinating question so i think um let's see do we have anything else here uh i guess i guess just really hilarious like how much people hate carl malone that was like <laughs> that was like a really that was like a really interesting thing uh, like of people tweeting during this. Cause again, I, I did not live through the jazz. It seems like the jazz were like the police though. Like, like no one, no <laughs> one liked, like the jazz, the jazz sucks. No one liked the jazz. Uh, no one wanted them to beat the bulls. And I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I didn't live through it. I would imagine that they were like the, the super dweeby team because of, uh, because of what was involved with uh, like, you know, they were in Utah, all their fans were white and lame, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't really know though. 
Yeah, it's funny too, because I actually shared and, you know, obviously it's just being a Jordan fan, but I was also a Denver Nuggets fan and the Nuggets when they had pulled off that uh, upset over the Supersonics, the one over the eight seed or the eight over the one in 94. And then they got trounced by the Jazz. And I, just as a kid who just wanted the Nuggets to be so good and watching that brutal efficiency of the pick and roll and the whitewashed Utah Jazz fans, like I hated them so much. And there was something so... Um, I, I don't know if it was their style of play. There was a smugness to, to them as well. Um, and just, it was, there was no flair. There wasn't anything exciting. They were really easy to hate because they were just super efficient, but unlikable. Yeah. Which is, um, that's probably how a lot of people view the Warriors actually, uh, as like, as like not being all that likable. I don't know. I, I, I always kind of like them, but there, there are probably, there are probably some comparables there. I mean, I, I think, uh, a big difference though, uh, from the NBA then to now is like, it, it is not, um, the, the popular teams are very rarely the most liked teams. People actually hate the best teams. Like people hated the heat. Um, people hated the Warriors, whereas back then it seemed like everyone was pretty much rooting the Bulls on. And then before the Bulls, it seemed like if you weren't a Celtics or a Lakers fan, you picked one of the two of them and then rooted for them. Yeah. And again, it goes back to why Jordan was the greatest story. You, we see people debating all the time. It was like, oh, well, who's the best player on the Warriors? Is it KD? Is it Steph or whatever? Like it, people have a hard time being like, well, what if this team is just the sum of their parts or whatever? The Jordan thing was there's this one guy who's the singular best talent. Everyone else is just a role player helping him accomplish his goal, quite literally putting the team on his back. How many field goal attempts? People love that, you know, that, that this brutal efficiency, you know, playing the game in the most optimal way. That's, that's boring from a storytelling perspective for people. Yeah, uh, the, the, the hero of the story being math, not, not inspiring <laughs> anyone, right? Like, uh, like, like learning that three is greater than two, uh, that doesn't inspire a wave of kids. Though, I, I mean, I will, I mean, kids are wanting to be Steph Curry. Like, kids are buying those super yes. ugly Under Armour shoes, you know, like that is, that is a thing. I actually think there's more interesting stuff to be said and written and talked about with Curry than there will be with LeBron at the end of the day. Like, Curry is a more... Curry is a more like inspirational figure than LeBron is because many, many people can see themselves like, Oh, I can figure out how to make the ball go in the hoop. But like, you're never going to be six, eight two sixty, uh, and be able to play every position on the court, you know? Right. And it's a slight shift. Like kids, they want to shoot like Steph Curry. They can, they see their body type and they're like, okay, I could walk down, pull up, you know, from four feet behind the arc and drain it. When people want to be like Mike, they're like, I want to win. I want to be the best. I want to have all these championships. It's like a, a different kind of wish fulfillment fantasy. Yeah, for sure. So the way the documentary ended the, the footage in Grant Park, actually, because, um, like, I've spent so much time in Grant Park, like, Lollapalooza and being up in Chicago and everything, and then, like, seeing all those people, w considering what we're dealing with now with, like, COVID-19, like, it made me a little emotional because I was like, this literally may never happen again. Like, Grant Park may never actually have that many people in it ever again for any reason because it's, uh, it's not safe. And, um, you know, I, I, I need to make this point that, Oftentimes in the past, I've taken the role of like, oh, these boomers and their Michael Jordan memories. Like, well, this is so stupid. Like, he just, he was a really good player, but, you know, he'd be like, whatever. That last shot against the Jazz, where like, he's exhausted. 
He's played 43 minutes up until that point. Pippen's hurt. And making that shot with the defender in his face, like, that is not a, a, a Paul Bunyan story. Like, that really was an incredible, incredible moment. Like, like that was very cool to watch 20 years later knowing that the shot was going in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to sound like a broken record, but it's, again, they show all these Eastern Conference finals and the NBA finals, and, like, there's three, it seems like there's two or three game-winning shots he hits in all of those series. It's just unreal the amount of confidence he had in himself to to get those done uh time after time it it is like you even though i tend towards being you know more cynical about this stuff and keeping you know my emotions at a distance right um you you can't help but get caught up in it 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 really is uh an incredible feeling uh they they can't they can't win until we quit which i thought was sort of the that was like the rallying cry. So Jordan says that they're all drinking champagne and smoking cigars down in the, in the depths of the, I guess the Delta center then. And he, and he goes, you know, they, they can't win until we quit. And then Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson, they all say Jerry Krause. He was the one, he was the one who, who brought us all together. He was the one, he was the one who did it. And I thought, that was a very nice gesture by all of them. See, I got like when Scotty said it, I was like, this sounds so disingenuous. Like it almost he, felt he's like disingenuously a bit. touting. Yeah. Um, oh, one other funny thing about after they won that, how bizarre like I thought it was classy, but how bizarre is it that Carl Malone walks it's on, walk the, on the bus bus and goes all the way back to congrats. Obviously they didn't cross paths and I, I mean that's an incredibly classy gesture, but I'm also like, why are you getting on their bus? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, like, that's very bizarre. Although, it seems like from the footage, that was just a really normal thing that happened then. Like, or, or that the, the guys would meet in, in the tunnel in between the two locker rooms pretty much every night after the games. Like, every night they would, um, you know, they would come in and be like, okay, let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's do this, boys. So, I, I don't know. I, I guess that was just, that was just more normal then. They, those guys all, uh, they all knew each other, you know, so much more back then, I guess. Like, they were all friends. Yeah. Oh, I did want to circle back to one of the things you were talking about, about Grant Park. And, again, another thing I'm generally cynical about of, like, because we know how, you know, uh, traditional fandom can result in weird tribalism and this stuff. But you really do. You see the joy on those people's faces in yeah. Chicago. And you do remember there is this element of sports where – the stuff it can do for a community and the distraction it offers us, like you said, you know, juxtapose against our current situation, like seeing what sports does for people. Um, it is an incredibly powerful thing, even though the dark side of it is bad in those moments. You're like, this is why we do it. Yeah. Like sports does make a difference to people. Like in the middle of this global pandemic, like people want distractions, people like the, the, like the popularity of sports, yes, it is a business. Yes, it does make uh, billions of dollars for people who already have billions of dollars. But like it does, it does make a difference in people in people's lives. Michael Jordan made a difference in, I mean, probably billions of people's lives. Michael Michael probably did touch the lives of a billion people, which is crazy to think about. But it is that's almost certainly true. Definitely. It definitely is true. And man, I hope Norman Chad doesn't hear this, man. He's going to be pissed. Oh, yeah. These uh, retire, <laughs> retire all uh, sports aren't that cool or we don't need sports takes. Just retire them all. They're all stupid. He, he did his job for the post. He got the clicks. Yeah. Well, 
He uh he did he did what he needed to do. Um all right, any any uh oh uh <laughs> Larry Bird telling MJ, you bitch, fuck you. And then, and then Michael telling him to go work on his golf game. I thought that was uh, – it would have been – to me, it would have been a, a, a more fitting ending to see some antagonizing like that at the very, very end instead of uh, – and we didn't, we didn't even get any highlights of MJ getting shots up as a wizard either. What a bummer. I know. And, and you know they wanted – like that story does deserve even like a one – not even – it doesn't even have to be – Like its own hour. Yeah. Actually, real quick, what did you – did you buy like did so there were moments where I got caught up like emotionally with the with the storytelling did you yeah. get caught up by the the burning of the paper ritual yeah, oh the, yes yeah but did? I so like because I again you know I like to be the 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 zoomer millennial who's too cool for that stuff but like yeah. the idea of sitting in a room with your uh your your closest comrades and you know, undergoing this like very cleansing ritual, like, Oh, for sure. That got to me. Like, I was like, wow, that's actually amazing. I was, I was shocked that something like that would happen, but I was also thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, in our lives, so many things that, um, that have finality, you know, we get graduations, um, when, you know, we, you know, move on from schooling, like there's all these events that mark, but like when you're an NBA team and you win a champion, like, sure you get your parade, but then it's just like, they all knew they were never going to step in a gym and practice together again. So that was pretty incredible for Phil Jackson to be like, I am going to manufacture this moment for us to signal this era ending. That, that was cool. Yeah. I mean, Phil Jackson to me, he definitely is a guy who stayed around basketball too long, but again, another guy who to me comes off pretty favorable in this documentary, I thought overall. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And, and you definitely – and Phil Jackson, obviously, no one needs to hear someone say, you know, Phil is, is very wow, good. But, wow, wow, great coach. Great coach, yeah, Phil Jackson. Coach. <laughs> but, you, but you do hear um, some of the stuff that he did and the way he kind of thought outside the box to not only manage these personalities but to also create this kind of weird zen teamwork uh, atmosphere that clearly, clearly helped. Okay, last thing, last thing here, and then I'll, I'll let you get to your, uh, to your heart out. Rodman, Rodman leaving to skip practice to go to Vegas and, and uh, take take place in uh, a worldwide wrestling thing with Hulk Hogan, noted noted racist Hulk Hogan, and like I just I, I mean imagine imagine something like that happening like literally would be the most impossible thing of the whole documentary. Someone will win six championships in a row again before that happens. And what's so crazy about it is, you know, early in the documentary, he had his little rumspringer when he went to Vegas. And the idea was he was kind of laying low, just go blow off some steam. Um, this was the most high profile possible, like, thing. it was like, it wasn't like you'd be like, I showed up to practice. I was like hanging low in like the back of a bar. No, like you're on national television in the mo one of the most important series of your career. That's what was so like, he was just rubbing it in their face. There was no even intention to hide that he needed a break or whatever it's crazy yeah i just uh they, they don't they don't make him like rodman anymore uh he was he was fascinating to me during the documentary though there's a lot of there's if you if you're out there on the internet you want to learn about rodman you can but there's some very unsavory stuff out there about him too as as there are with most people people uh people contain multitudes peter and maybe that's maybe that's the story of uh of the chicago bulls is that People are never as simple as uh, as good or bad, and and they often are somewhere in between. Yeah.
And I think that's a good tip where I'm at is like, I think it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive that you love this documentary, but also carry a healthy amount of skepticism about how stuff was presented and the things that were left out. I mean, yeah, imagine if someone made um, a documentary and they don't talk to any of your ex-girlfriends and uh, they, don't, they don't talk to anyone that fired you. They only talk to the people that got the best of you. And uh, even when those people say something bad, you are, you're allowed to have them edited out at the end. Like, yeah, that'd probably be pretty cool. Like uh, if they made a documentary about me winning a League of Legends GPP and didn't make a documentary about, uh, you know, the, the $1,500 that I donked off before that, it'd probably be pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, MJ, I think, I think this is uh, this was great for everyone in general. We 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 all enjoyed it, and if anything, it's made me more curious to go dig in and, and find more information about this time and kind of seek out more of the the full picture. It's like we've heard Jordan's story. Let's. Uh, I hope maybe some stuff comes out of this of people interviewing. Um, more behind the scenes people and getting their takes almost like a, a rebuttal or here's my take on a story that was told. That would be cool if that crops out from this. Yeah, there's uh there is um, a whole uh, cottage industry of like a podcast series with uh, Scotty Burrell and Bill Cartwright yeah. and, uh, and, and uh, John Paxson and stuff like of, of more MJ stories to be told. I think that uh, people would uh, would get pretty interested in. So that's it. The last dance has concluded. Uh, I hope that sports, you know, kind of slowly starts to trickle back because the, that was like a cool communal experience to look forward to every week. And it's going to be, it's going to be a bummer to miss out on that now. Yeah. I'm going to miss it. I don't, I don't even like watching movies because uh, I find them generally too long, but getting to sit down on Sundays uh, for two hours and watch this. And I never felt like it was dragging or yeah. that there was a lot of, I thought it was actually pretty tightly edited. And I know some people were complaining about kind of their time construction where they were jumping back and forth, but I appreciated. I thought it really set up context. And there were a few times where it was confusing, like, wait, which year, which series is this? But for the most part, I thought it was a good storytelling structure. For sure. I, I, yeah, I thought that the duality of like following his entire career uh, and then, and then marrying it to that 98 season was an intelligent way to do things. You know, I think that a lot of filmmakers would have um, done something different with it and, and gone in a different direction. So I thought that was a, thought that was pretty great. So everyone, thank you very much for listening to our last dance recap series here on uh, the take cast. We will uh, be back soon with more content uh, for you guys. And, uh, now, take it easy. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.